Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsheim with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. What is up, Allison? There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's nice to have like hockey, hockey, hockey stuff to 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 talk about. Are you are you recalibrated to anticipating a season, or does it still feel weird uh, that it's Christmas and you're talking training camp and preseason stuff? <laughs> I mean, it definitely feels weird for sure. It's not only the timing, but uh, you know, it just it, there were so many obstacles, and now they're quote unquote all solved and it'll settle in, but it's good. It's also going to be a different year. We know that. Um, and that's going to be, again, these are not the problems that matter most in our world right now, but it's going to be uh, different. So we have to get used to that as well. Indeed. So as you probably know, the blue jackets, the NHL are hoping that each team can play 56 games and they're not doing a bubble anymore or two bubbles as they did to finish last season. They're going to do sort of, I don't know, can we call them, uh, mini temporary bubbles, Allison. So a, a team's going to traveling, go, yeah, traveling bubbles, the travel bubble, road bubble, uh, twubble. Oh, oh, um, yeah, I don't. We're in that. trouble in the twubble. Or is it a road bubble rubble? Um, God willing, <laughs> a twubble rubble. <laughs> maybe we can avoid that. Um, oh God, <laughs> you've seen the protocols. You've seen what what they're thinking. So Columbus is not going to go to Nashville and come back the next day. They're going to go knockout two. Uh, they're not going to be at home for one game and head out on the road. The team that's coming in is going to stay there and play a couple games. Uh, it looks like the schedule is going to have them playing at minimum back-to-back against the same team over and over again, with the exception of maybe, I think, late in the season, they could be knocking off a four in a row against teams. It, it, who knows where, it, where it's going to settle exactly. It should be released later today. What do we know about it at this point? Allison, and how do you think this is going to work from a protocol and safety standpoint? Yeah. So, I mean, what we know is that um, there are some initial details out there. And then as has been the, the in the process baked in before, you know, teams had a little bit of time to request changes once they saw the first draft. And we'll see this final later today. But um, it's looking like Columbus will open on the road um, against Nashville. Um, and as you mentioned, it's going to be chunks of games against the same opponent um, in a row. And, you know, the hidden benefit that you hinted at there already is that we're no longer going to have this play Friday night, pack up, fly out, play on the road Saturday, um, the added strain mentally and physically of that. So there's going to be a little bit less of a physical burden in that sense. But on the flip side, we're looking at most weeks having a minimum three games, if not four. Yep. Um, and so it's going to be, it's going to be quite the ride. Um, not sure that they're going to see any one team four games in a row. It doesn't seem, um, but definitely two in a row. And so, uh, that little hidden bit of, of rivalry and competition, competition that John Tortorella spoke to you about in your, your recent interview with him. Um, I'm going to be really intrigued to see that develop as well. Yeah. And so that's what, one thing I wanted to get into here. So this game has changed so much in the last 10 years, especially really changed dramatically in 20 years in terms of the fighting, in terms of the, how nasty and physical the games uh, can get. And I'm wondering where this is going to go. I, I think 20 years ago, if you would have had a team play a repetitive back-to-backs and, and face the same team eight 
times in the span of 56 games. So they used to play Central Division opponents eight times, but they did that over 82 games. This is going to be just a heavy concentration against the same team. If you did this 15, 20 years ago, there would be laundry all over the ice, right? There would be fights. There would be teams trying to set the set the the physical standard of how these games are going to be played. This league has changed so much, and this is not a complaint. I'm just wondering where that's going to lead us when you're playing the same team over and over again. And do you think it's going to make for more contentious games? John Tortorella was wondering this as well. Or is it going to be monotonous? Is it going to be uh, these guys again? Because the guys don't get their backs up like they used to. These games aren't aren't the bludgeoning, uh, last man standing type feel that they used to have. The game's changed in many ways for the better. I just wonder how that's going to apply to to this schedule for this year. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that the from an emotional investment perspective, I think that's not going to come just from the sheer nature of the schedule. I mean, we have seen teams that um, get that play together against each other a lot, and there's there's a hold back, and players talk about this. There's a hold back until quote unquote the games really matter yep. um, in the playoffs. Um, and particularly this Blue Jackets team, they focus on themselves. They don't focus on the opponent. Now, I think there's going to be intensity in every single one of those Tampa Bay games, no question. Yeah. Um, I think that there could be a little bit of, of heat in the Florida series. We'll see. I don't know that there's going to be the emotional investment. What I'm really curious to see, particularly when you're seeing teams not just this frequently, but serial in order, one, two, maybe three or four games in a row, the tactics of it, because that is the other side of what we see in postseason play is the strategic maneuvering by coaches, both from a lineup and a um, X's nose perspective. And how much does that change when these coaches only have to focus on seven other teams and will be able to see instant results and play more almost in like a lab setting of how do we beat this team? Oh, tweak it this way. Now, how do we yeah. beat this team? That's what I'm going to be interested to see. So you think there's going to be more coaching rather than less coaching. Because I wondered if there would be less coaching. It's these guys again. You know what their thing is. But there maybe there's more coaching. It's these guys again. Here's what we learned just 12 hours ago that we can apply now. In the regular season, if you don't have a back-to-back, the things you learned 12 hours ago against an opponent are kind of out the window because you're moving on to the next opponent. Maybe you remember for next time. But where do you think that goes, Allison? More coaching, less coaching? Yeah, I think I think that, you know, particularly with the Blue Jackets, the team we're talking about, I think we have to hear what John Tortorella said to you, which is there's definitely going to be more coaching, in my opinion, from a special teams perspective, yeah, yeah. Um, because that is something you can tweak. What I think is going to be the counter, um, not that I wish this for any team, is going to be the health of these rosters, because it is very possible that you are playing the same jerseys two games in a row, but the lineup is completely different um, due to health concerns or, you know, pull, having to pull players out of the lineup out of just total caution or, you know, waiting on a test result or what have you. So that's going to be interesting. I think more coaching on special teams for sure. Um, otherwise, I don't, I don't think five-on-five five play, at least for this squad, this Blue Jacket squad, is the thing that's really going to start happening. Yeah. You know what? I don't believe him, though, when he says we don't talk a lot about the other team. Oh, it's a total lie. I think it's they talk lie. about the other team as much as anybody does. I think it's, to him, 
it is it's what you say to make your team feel uh, better about itself. In other words, right? It's a it's an allow. He doesn't want to allow. He doesn't. He's not going to allow the other team uh, the time to suggest that he pays attention to them. I think that's just how the old man's wired. Well, and I think too. I thought that there was something really telling in his interview with you, and something I obviously obsess about way too much. Um, just from a leadership perspective, was his comments about trying to find the right words. Yes. What is going to be the rallying cry for this squad? And I think that that is hints to me at what you were just saying as well. I think they absolutely talk about the opponent, but I think it's how they talk about the opponent is what is important to John Tortorella. It's not, um, and let's pick an easy example here. It's not how do we stop Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze? It's what are we going to control to execute our game plan against this opponent? Yeah. And that's a subtle difference, but mentally it's a big difference. And so that is what I think he really focuses on. Because we, I mean, listen, the players will talk about prepping for a game and we of know course. they talk about the other it's the teams. pros. Right. But it's how it's framed and it's keeping that focus on control what we can control, do what we can do, stay within ourselves framing discussion about the opponent in that way is what I think he is really harping on every time he says that. I like to, how he, how he, he refers to the Tampa Bay Lightning as the team that won the cup last year. Wonderful. Love it. I love it so much. Like he can't bring say it the, on. He can't say the words, you know, here for it here for it. Um, so, you know, all this, I think seven game, seven teams in their division along with Columbus. So eight, 56 games they'll be playing. Uh, those division opponents quickly, Carolina, Chicago, Dallas, Detroit, Florida, Nashville, Tampa Bay. Allison, who's better than Columbus in that group of, of teams I just mentioned? Of all eight? Yeah. Of, uh, all, yes. of all seven? Who's better? Not in the same discussion as Columbus. Which teams are better? Tampa Bay is better. Yes. I th- you, your favorite team, Carolina, I think is a challenging team to play. Do you, do you think Carolina is better than Columbus? Mm, not in net. They're probably equal defensively, maybe, maybe, but offensively, I think they have an edge. This is like I, I know you strongly it's like disagree, you're on the but stand you're wrong. Here on the lawyer, but on you're wrong. the whole, is Carolina <laughs> better than Columbus. I think it's a close call. I can't decide. <laughs> okay, so there's one. You team. hate them. We know. Listen, it's true. They're a good team. They're a good team. I'll give you that. They're okay. they can be boring as hell. They, no. You know that, but they've gotten it's so much better now. Oh, I'll take your word for it. So there is one team out of these eight that we can say clearly, definitively, is better than Columbus. I yeah, because th- I don't I don't know what Dallas is. Correct, and you know what? Another team here that I don't know about. I think they can be really good. Is Nashville? I don't pretend to know what went wrong last year. Yeah. They they Nashville and Chicago, I think they still get some branding allowances because they they were so good for so long that for me I look at I but I look at Nashville more than I do Chicago in that respect and I go, Ooh, I don't know if I trust them not being there again. Like there's right. something about those that those I don't know if it's it's just the organizations and the success they've had the last eight to ten years, but it feels like it's kind of silly to discount them. Um but I think you put Columbus in I would put Columbus in the cluster below Tampa Bay with Carolina, Dallas, and maybe Nashville. 
I know some people who put Florida in that cluster. Now, I personally did not, yeah. but I know some people do. I just don't know about Florida. Like, I'm not saying it can't happen. I just don't. I agree. It's a lot. They're, they're, they've got a lot of ingredients right now. I want to see what it makes. Agree. Completely. Because I just, I, I don't dislike them. And it could happen. I'm not counting them out. I just want to see it turn into something first. And I'm, 100%. Not, I'm not sure 100%. that it can. And Detroit's going in the right direction. But hell, if you if you're that bad, there is only one direction to go. And to be competitive this year would is that's a woof, that's a momentous climb for them, given where they were. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I do. <laughs> so you count nobody out, but I I that's clearly the eighth place team to me, but on the rise and more competitive. Agreed. So yeah. Um I don't know what to do with Dallas. I don't have, yeah, no, I have no idea what to Sagan's do. Sagan's out for forever and a day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, so that's going to be interesting. I wanted to ask you about this too, because Tortorella, as you just mentioned a minute ago, struggled to find the words. Uh, he's struggling to find a way to articulate how he wants the Blue Jackets to play. This is a rich topic because uh, safe as death was such a great phrase, and it, it so wonderfully encapsulated how they played a couple of years ago. Um, last year, they had to play safe as life. Mm-hmm. Safe was life. They had to be really, really smart and careful, and they had to. They bring didn't change two, a thing, Porty. They didn't change young, a thing. Wasn't that funny? Like it de- just it depended on what day it was, right. and really, it depended if you wanted to drag him into the topic. He wasn't having it. Correct. If he wanted to go into the topic, he was good with it. Correct. Um, but they changed last year. They had to change. It made sense to everybody. It wasn't. It wasn't a crazy maneuver by him. Uh, but they wanted to bring those two goalies along until they knew what they had. They couldn't count on their goalies quite like they did with Bobrovsky in years past. Now they feel like they know that Corpusalo and Merzlikens can play. They actually feel like in this schedule, 56 games, it's 115 or 16 days, whatever, that teams with two really good goaltenders are going to have a huge uh, advantage, and that may be the totally. case. 100%. Um so, but they want to open it up a little bit more. Um, and, and so let me put it, I've been thinking about ways I'm kind of like torts with this, where I'm struggling to come up with the right analogy. It's kind of like not having water pressure. I, I'm thinking about this and, and trying to open the valve wider. In other words, just saying you want your team to play more offensive. Does that do anything if you don't have the more offensive players. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you can you can add more voltage to the light bulb, but if it's a 40-watt light bulb, it can only get so bright. Do they need more? They need more, don't they? Not just letting their players do more. It's not like they've got 30, 35, 40 goal scorers there that that they've that they've put reins on because they want them to play defensively, right? Uh um, I don't know. I think that there are players like Pierre-Luc Dubois that would benefit from a bigger leash. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with all due respect to John Tortorella, because I, I love his focus on words and I love thinking about him cracking open the slogan. And, and anyone who's tried to do this, you know, I've tried to do this um, with companies in the past, coming up with a slogan that works isn't as easy 
as it sounds. And let's be honest, safe as death was already in his lexicon when he got here. It's not like he came up with this on the fly as this master thing. So he is, he is struggling, but I, I, there, there is an answer. He just has to find it. And I think that brevity is part of the problem because as you said, it's open it up, but not totally, but yes, definitely open it up and just a little bit and see what works. Um, but I do think there are players who maybe felt a little reined in by it. And I think that there are players who perhaps found themselves feeling like they had to be too defensively responsible. And so maybe their offense didn't suffer, but it hindered it. And because they don't have a super elite high-end offensive forward right now, I think that makes this refocusing all the more important because you have to encourage that offensive side once again, because it has to be by committee. Yeah. And Pierre-Luc is the player that sort of he stopped just short a few times of sort of openly complaining Correct. about how conservative they are Correct. Uh, the last couple of years. And you wonder where that goes. Um, so the, the plan as of now appears to be Texier with Dubois and Bjorkstrand. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. That leaves the second line probably to have Felino, um, Domi, and Atkinson. Now, yes. I hesitate to call that the the second line because I think game to game, depending upon which line is going, is going to determine which one's really the first line or which one's the second line. In well, other you know words, what's I, really you know what, what's funny. What's that? That's that would be the fad line. So it's just a, a passing fad. Felino. Oh yes, Atkinson. Domi. Atkinson, the FDA line, FDA approved. Can they take oh, flight, oh. Allison? Oh no, let me have my. Wait, that's the Food better. and Drug Administration. Never mind, mine was that's the FFA. Sorry. Um, yes. Yeah, so, but I, I, I think Max Domi is a hell of a player. I think he's a better playmaker than maybe we understand, or maybe I understand. I can only speak for myself. I've I've seen him as a energy guy and a good offensive player. I, I maybe I don't recognize him as a playmaker. What are your thoughts on that? Because that's really what they need. They've got they've got some finishers. Everybody in the league has has finishers. Uh, it's the skill, the opening up, and I think that's what they. I think that's what John Tortorella means. I I think he wants these guys to play with more creativity, more um, unpredictability. And they, he tried to beat beat them into being predictable and relentless and and defensively almost perfect last year. Now he wants them to open up a little bit. I think that's a that's going to be a that's a challenge. It's not just articulated, but to teach it. Yeah, and I think that you're right, and that Domi. I mean, if you look at some of the, and these are of course not you know publicly available stats online. These are stats that are tracked by a human, Corey Schneider, who is a tremendous talent and, and asset to the hockey community. Um, but if you look at players who can effectively pass to high danger areas, Max Domi is right there, um, one of the top in the league, in fact. And so, yes, I think that he is perhaps not fully credited for being a playmaker. I, I, I almost feel like, the, to me... What I think Torts is struggling to articulate is he's loosening the reins, but not completely. Yeah. And I think it's it's that balance that's important for him. Because I don't know that this group 
struggles with the creativity. I mean, we see some of it now, of course, they're missing Nyquist, who I think is one of their more creative forwards. Um, I don't know that they're struggling with the creativity as much as the, yeah, it's okay now, just go try the thing. Um, giving them permission once again, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you make of John Tortorella's thoughts on Mikhail Grigorenko? That because I'm I'm looking at the lineup even with with uh, Gustav Nyquist out, and I'm just I'm wondering where he fits. They they seem to be settled down the middle down the middle with Dubois, Domi, Koivu, Nash. So I don't really see a home there. And I don't think they want to bury Bemstrom on the the fourth line. And I'm not sure where uh, Foodie fits. Maybe Grigorenko's on the third line with Jenner and Koivu. Where does he fit? Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I, I agree with Torts on this. I don't think we know because we haven't seen the player, particularly in this system and with these players. Um, but it is going to be interesting because if you if you start to look at those lineups, you know, where is Bemstrom? Where is Foodie? I think, and this is no discredit to the player, I think Foodie is probably not going to play every single game. I think there's going to be some, hey, you know, sit back and watch a little bit. Let's recalibrate what you're thinking. Just because he's getting acclimated to the game, and now we know in an even crazier schedule than a normal season. Yeah. Um, so I think there's going to be spaces in the lineup there. But yeah, I don't, I don't know who ends up getting scratched more or has a role more. It's, it's, it's going to be very curious. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on the taxi squad. So the NHL teams are going to be able to keep with them a four to six man taxi squad. The idea is to not have tons of travel back and forth from the minor league affiliate. Uh, the, the, in one of those is going to be a goalie. So expect Matisse Kivleniaks to be with the Blue Jackets uh, or Vinny Vivalainen to be with them. I think that's going to be interesting because they may want the goalie to, to play. They might want Kivlenix to play. And so he goes to Cleveland. Who do you want to sit in Columbus as the number three? Who, no offense to them, but you hope they don't ever have to use them. Um, so how teams handle that's going to be a little bit different. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you on foodie. If I go through the forward list, so I, I did some did some work the other day. Like, what's this camp roster going to look like? Right. And and Torts has talked about how he wants five lines, so 15 forwards. He wants 8D, so four pair, and two goalies in the NHL group that they train with. And the rest will be sort of on their own. So that's 25 guys at NHL camp. And then uh, 11 players sort of off to their own working and trying to to get their way up to the NHL camp. But, um, you know, how, how do you, what, how do you handle this taxi squad? This is a question for Yarmo Kekalainen, but he's busy right now. Liam Foodie. Do you want Liam Foodie nearby and not playing? Or do you want him playing, assuming the AHL can get going? And I think that goes for Kevin Stenland too. I'm just looking at forwards. That certainly goes for Cole right. Sherwood. These are guys that would be on the bubble. Um, I, to me, and Nathan Gerby's the type that you keep uh, in your taxi squad. A guy you can you can plug. Stefan Mateau, a veteran minor league guy. Even Ryan McGinnis, Zach Dalby. These are the guys you keep. I, my opinion on the taxi squad. You keep them near. They don't have to play. These aren't guys you have huge plans for down the line. 
but they're veteran players who can step in. Or, Allison, would you turn it over to the likes of Foodie, uh, to the likes of Jacob Christensen on defense? Uh, do you do you put your your best of the best and keep them close, or do you strategize based on who needs to be playing? And and you can change out the taxi squad, correct? Well, I think that you was can, my but understanding. I think the idea is to not do that very often because that would defeat the purpose entirely. Because there was talk I had had read as well that you know and just cautioned everyone who sometimes you see someone's on waivers and you lose your mind and worry. Yeah. There's also going to be a lot of waiver movements that are truly paper moves to help manage the cap this year. Correct? Well, um, yeah, well, it, that's true. Um, but you you can lose that player on waivers. Right. For sure. 100%. Whether it's a paper move or not. So they wouldn't be leaving Columbus. But I, it, So the way the taxi squad is going to work is if you would need waivers. So uh, use Gerby as an example. He's a yes. veteran player. In order yes. to send him to Cleveland, because he's now technically on the Blue Jackets roster, Right. When rosters set at the end of camp, in order to get him to Cleveland, he would have to clear waivers. Right. So in order to put him on the taxi squad, they would have to clear him through waivers just as always. But he could absolutely be claimed. I don't think I'd have to go look through notes here. Stefan Mateau would have to clear waivers for sure. Dalby for sure. I don't think Stenland. I know Foodie Correct. wouldn't. McGinnis right. probably would at this point. Um. But those guys could absolutely be snatched up by by other teams, and it would be right. just like just like uh, in the normal setting. If they snatched them up, they'd have to keep them on their NHL roster too, right? They, you know, because they didn't clear waivers to be sent to the minors. So there's going to be some juggling there. But I, I wonder how you would handle the the taxi squad. Is it a holding tank or is it a reward for guys that are close? Well, I mean, we've seen call ups in, in traditional seasons that are both. Right. Reward this kid and let him come up and see the NHL life just because he's been playing well, even though we know he's not going to play. I think this is another strategy that's going to evolve as the season goes. I mean, who would have two years ago, the best players in the AHL couldn't buy a spot in the lineup, even if they were leading the team in goals and points and everything else, because everyone was playing so well and healthy. Last year, you're signing guys just to field an NHL roster. That's right. And I think that health is going to dictate these choices. And I think that the other thing, of course, that's going to matter is just going to be more prominent in our faces is where the team sits in the standings. Um, Because here's the thing, this schedule is so brutal. We talk about the goaltenders all the time, and that's valuable when we talk about workload. But I don't know many skaters who have seen a season like this. Um, So this, this taxi squad might end up being a mix of both because if you're playing, you know, I'm looking here at one week and I think there's one, two, three, four, five games in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight days. I, I mean, fresh legs is a huge asset there, right? Yeah, so right. Um, that's where I can see the taxi squad truly being for the best guys because not, I mean, I mean it's going to be really interesting to see how many guys play every game this season, right? right? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. And Torch was interesting too. He, you know, he doesn't like morning skates. Yeah. Um, but he mentioned maybe bringing them back this year, perhaps out of necessity, if it means giving guys a full day away from the rink. Right. And then on game day, having a morning skate that is actually instructional, not just get the blood flow, um, but an instructional light work uh, practice before the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
That's there's going to be so many ramifications from all of this. Um, anything else we need to get to, Allison, before I ask you three very difficult, meaningful questions uh, as we oh, head to break? I was not primed for this. Um, I think we're good. Okay. Uh, how? Here's the beginning of the series questions. How okay. many Cheryl's cookies could you eat in one sitting? Okay. Now this is there's an important qualifying question I have. Yeah. Are these original Cheryl's cookies or are these the Cheryl's cookies under the new owner? Oh, oh, oh. And what kind are they? If they're the frosted sugar cookies, I can eat them until I die. Um, I hold before me. It's a shame we're not the ring tonight because I'd be bringing them. The buttercream frosted cutout cookie. Yes, I can eat 8,000. Really? Okay. Because I'm like limit. I I shouldn't say that because I'm limit. I think I'm limit too. That's unexpected. Because they're very rich. That's a failure. They're extremely rich. Um, Okay, favorite Christmas song, not him. I'm going to delineate between the Christmas carol, which to me is like a a religious Christmas song. Yes. Versus a Christmas song, secular, like Rudolph versus, say, O Come Come Emmanuel. Favorite song. Favorite Christmas song, and I will not be hearing arguments at this time. No, no. It's an from, opinion. It's a fact. Oh. From John Denver and the Muppets, okay. A Christmas Together, The Peace Carol. Now, that's a strong choice. Can I ask you to tell the John Denver story? <sighs> it's a great story. Um, I like the Christmas song that begins with chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Well, that's the name of the song. Christmas song. Isn't it? No, oh, I think yeah. it's called Christmas song. That is true. Uh, favorite, we're going to get to the John Denver s- story because I lo- personally love John Denver, which is not always cool. I adore John Denver. I love yes. him. You have a personal connection. Uh, favorite Christmas hymn? Oh, Holy Night, sung yes. by Josh Groban. Oh, see, I don't, I'm a Holy Night sung by anyone. That's fair. With Okami Manuel, very close. Hark the Herald Angels Sing is that's, my second. Beautiful. And si- I mean, nothing beats Silent Night with in a darkened eh? in a darkened sanctuary with candles. Pretty nice. It's, I just have heard it so much. I yeah, go I for a little bit off the beaten path. I understand. Yes. It's the amazing grace of Christmas songs. It is. For sure. Okay, yes. to John Denver, and then we'll wrap. Uh, no, no. I think the people have to have to say they want to hear the story. No, I can't pe- just trust me, the people anybody. are here, they want to hear the story. You can't drag them on like this. I you're in Aspen. You're in Aspen. Oh my God, this is so horrifying. It's All the right, best. so it's the greatest story. I don't just tell this story to anyone, Porty. This oh, is well, then we can we can back up. We don't have if to. the people if the people okay. If you want to hear the John Denver story, let Porty or I know on Twitter, and I will tell the John Denver story the next time we record. You know they're going to want to. Well, th- we, they have to prove it. You're playing to the crowd now. All right. All right, it's a great story. All right. <laughs> Um, I guess we'll for sure see and talk to you next time then. Uh, that'll be next week. And, and Allison, anything to add? I would just like to wish everyone a safe yes. and happy holidays. I know it looks different, um, but um, find some joy, find some peace, um, and stay focused. Um, we'll get through this together, and I hope everyone can, can find some happiness in these next few days, or perhaps you've already shared that as part of a Hanukkah celebration or some other way you celebrate. So happy holidays to all. 
Well, amen to all of that. I echo those thoughts and sentiments. Also, if you get Blue Jacket swag uh, for Christmas, by all means, tweet it out and uh, let us Except know about those it. those new jerseys. Don't tweet them. <laughs> Reverse retro. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening so much. We'll be back with you next week. Uh, thanks to our producer, Danielle Lehman. Uh, thanks to all who make the show possible. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Take care.